0: All right, we're here at episode 49 of Conversations, and I'm really excited to have Jake Sloan. Is that how you say the last name, correct? Yep. And uh, Jake is a content creator, YouTuber, videographer. I don't know if that's what you would call yourself, but we met through the marketing world. You were a main videographer at Beacon when I came on. And you know I've been able to just see what you do through social over the last three years. And it really motivated me to have you on because what I see is someone that's really doing what they love and doing it at a high level, which that's what I appreciate most. And so I'm really glad that you said yes to coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And so tell me about this story. Like what got you into content creation, videography, like where's the story start for you with that? Uh, man,
1: uh, it's a long, uh, I mean, it goes way back probably into my like late teens, even when my grandmother gave me a film camera mm-hmm. and I started just messing around with it. And at that time I was living in Talkeetna, so I was working with, a, or rubbing shoulders with a lot of really good photographers. And um, I was always asking them questions about, you know, what what makes a camera do, or what makes things look like this in film? And because um, the camera I had was completely manual and I knew nothing about it starting out and then just jumping in. So I learned a lot about that kind of stuff then, and, and then about, I think... It's probably twenty twenty one. I just put it away and forgot about it and moved on and uh, spent twenty years doing a lot of just you know work like life, getting married, having kids, stuff like that. And then uh, what is it like maybe five five years ago or so? Uh, my wife and I both lost our jobs at the same time, mm. and which is uh, oddly enough around the time that Beacon uh, kind of came into the picture. And so I was uh, doing construction to make ends meet because at that point nobody wanted to hire anybody, even with advanced degrees for like more than $15 an hour, $20 an hour, which is insane. You can't live on that with a family. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had started um, looking at other ways of making income. And I knew at that point that I really wanted to work toward making income that wasn't necessarily tied directly to my time. Because I had done that for 20 years and really realized um, the, I don't want to say the trap, but the, uh, it's, it's very limited. You know, un- unless you move into certain career fields that have extremely high levels of pay based on time, you're, you're always very limited on what you can do. And, um, and in most of my jobs, I, I had figured out that I was really good at figuring out really efficient ways of doing things. But it never got rewarded in the sense of like, you're doing this really well, so we're going to reward you. It was like, oh, you have a whole bunch of extra time now. We're going to add a whole bunch more to your plate. But it didn't necessarily reflect on, we're also going to give you a raise because now you're doing a lot more work. Mm -hmm. Um, So those, those kind of things had started me off on this path of looking for ways to make income that wasn't necessarily tied to my time. Of course, with the internet, passive income is a huge buzzword. I don't think there's any really truly passive income out there. I <laughs> love that. It's a, it's, it's a great buzzword. And it, there is, to an extent, of the sense of like you're not working physically directly and that is not necessarily tied to your income. But real true passive income in the sense of what a lot of people think is is uh, doesn't exist. Sure. Uh, maybe unless you're extremely wealthy yeah. already. So, uh, yeah, looking at this way of going, okay, there's got to be ways to make income, not tied to my time, and, um, and, and also doing things I love, because I didn't like doing construction. I had the skill set from my dad, which I appreciated, but I didn't enjoy it. Uh, and so one of the things I was doing was like going off and doing these adventures with my kids. And at that point, I was kind of getting back into photography because iPhones had come out with great cameras at that point. And um, and just more, but it was more about documenting the journey with my kids and wanting to leave them memories. And so I was posting these videos on YouTube, not really even for public consumption, just to like go, you know, in 10 years, hey, here's memories of stuff that we did together, hiking around uh, the mountains here and stuff like that. And uh, as part of that, I was like, oh, I want to get a drone, I want to be able to capture the. The views, and the aerial right. pictures of, or a video of Alaska, and, and me and my kids doing this stuff. So I bought one of the early uh, foldable, somewhat portable drones, and started filming that. And those videos really started uh, getting traction with people because it was, um, it was early adoption, and it was also a very new kind of drone. Nobody had done a foldable drone yet, and I happened to get one of the first maybe, say, 100,000 that they shipped out. And then I think they didn't realize that there'd be, you know, probably like two or three million orders. Uh, And so having one of the only ones out there and starting to, like, put videos out about it really uh, perked my interest of, like, wow, there's a whole business model behind this uh, YouTube thing, which is pretty much my heavy focus. Um, And so I started pursuing that and looking at it. And trying to figure out, like, how are people making this work as a full-time income and, and passive income? <laughs> and, uh, and so it took a while for me to wrap my mind around how the business model of, of doing stuff like that really works partly because, um, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I have lots of gray hair, I'm 40-something, and uh, my dad taught me very heavily on like work is you physically sweating, laboring away, which I appreciated because it gave me a really good work ethic, but at the same time, it's like, wait, there's a whole other way that you can work and make income, but it's not work in the classic sense of like what I was taught. And so it took a few years for me to figure that out just because... I had to take and and recreate or create new mindsets mm-hmm. in my own mind of how to right. look at it and approach it, and um, and then just grappling with the whole like online realm, the reach, the distribution, the like how do you tie things together and monetize and the different ways of doing that, and because um, it's it's still kind of very much the wild west of like the creator economy, right. it's, it's, uh, it, almost anything goes. So, and it was about that time that I started working with beacon. Um, and I, I really, it was fantastic because both of the owners of beacon, um, they were, they were awesome to work with at the same time while I was working with them. It's about then that I really realized like I'm a terrible employee. Uh, not because I'm not a good worker, but because I'm not wired to be an employee. Right. Um, so we had lots of conversations about that and they were amazing going, yeah, you're right. Like you're really not cut out to work as an employee, but we still want to work together. And so I think that's about probably when you started coming in the picture with Beacon too. And uh, so I really, really appreciate that, that um, both Adrian and uh, Jennifer were like, yeah, we can see that. And Mm -hmm. so let's explore other ways we can work together and still pursue this. And uh, yeah, so that's
0: where I am today now. (laughs) So I want to go back to, so you said five years ago. So 2018, was that when you maybe got your first drone? Uh it might have been 2017 or 2016. It's been a while. So it's yeah, it's so 2016 you got your first drone and it was for sheer personal use. Yeah. You wanted to capture these adventures, which uh, there's a whole bunch to unpack on documenting a future for your kids or your grandkids. And I could get into that, you know, uh, heavily, but I don't want to go down a wormhole cuz my ADD can, but <laughs> when it came to that process and you started, you know, putting those up on YouTube and you said it started to take traction. Can you expand on that? Was like a video going viral? People starting to subscribe to you. Like what was that that part of the journey of you just putting stuff up out there because it was for personal, but then it started to take more of a life of its own? So it was it was twofold
1: in the sense of like, I I did a really I mean I consider it to be a a dumb video sure. about how to put the iPad mini into the controller of the drone and i guess i was the first one to think about that and it got posted on a lot of forums and then it started getting shared and so that one really started getting traction at the same time i was uh posting the you know adventures with my kids i was also posting um some charity work i was doing as a star wars character i don't know if you want to dive into that or not (laughs) but uh (laughs) and uh and just purely because of the name Star Wars and the, and the uh, characters I was dealing with in these like vlog videos about the charity work we were doing, that gained a lot of traction. Wow! And so I, I w- between those two things, I was like, wow, there's, there's this whole other world of, of being able to reach and communicate with people that I had never considered before. Um, and so that, that really is what kind of shot me down the path. But as far as like the photography and drone stuff that first really, I mean, I literally grabbed my iPhone six and went down to my basement and like film myself, Hey, this is how you put the controller in the, in the, or the iPad in the controller. And when that really started gaining traction, I was like, wow. So then I started doing a a few more videos like about the drone going out and like, Hey, this, you know, this is what it can do, or this is uh, how to do this with it or whatever. And just because there was so much pent up demands for that drone, because they, they drastically underestimated how many orders they would get, um, for the unit, right off the bat, it really kind of um, opened that door for me to get my foot in, and and then s- start to really realize like there is a whole side of YouTube that I never considered beyond like you know posting videos for my kids or right. like lots of people watch cat videos or I'm, sure
0: you know. So when that when that ex- that first huge traction happened, was it like? Was it like all of a sudden you started getting a ton of notifications? You started seeing the whole bunch of subscribers going on. Like you get monetized. Like what was it like you're like, oh, this is a thing that I need to take from more just posting for my kids to I need to pay attention to this. So yeah, a
1: lot of it was I I started to get more subscribers um, and that kind of perked up of like I was getting lots of interaction online, lots of questions about the drone, lots of... Uh, troll comments too because sure, that's definitely course. a thing yeah um, and then and subscribers and so when that when that started happening I started digging into uh, like finding some YouTube gurus growth gurus online marketing people and and really, watching their stuff and studying their stuff of like, how are people looking at this as a business? Because I, I just could not wrap my mind around the fact that you can post videos online that people watch for free and then somehow you make money, make money off that. Like right. it just did not, I mean, I it, it was like the most uh, cognitive dissonance I think I've ever experienced in my life where I felt like my brain was just hitting a brick wall of like, this makes no sense to me at all. I do not understand how this is even work and I do not understand how you get paid from this. Right. Um, so that, and that's where it, it took me a lot of time of a lot of trial and error of posting videos that did nothing, you know, get 10 views and then posting other ones of, that would get a few thousand views. And i okay, what was the difference between these two videos? Well, this one was titled with this and had this content in it and this one was something completely different. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it, it was a lot of trial and error. sure, And then also a lot of really applying every spare minute I had of like getting up at four in the morning and watching tutorial videos or reading about what people were doing in the online marketing space to make things work and trying to figure out the business model behind it of different streams of income, affiliate marketing and all of that kind of stuff to, to really, I mean literally, build new pathways in my own brain of thinking about how to go about um, making kind of the, not even, uh, making what I'm doing today, but even just figuring out a roadmap to get to where I am today was probably three years of posting stuff online and, right. you
0: know, some having success and a lot having no success. So how much content would you say you put out before you earned a check? And it was like $6. I'm sure it wasn't anything crazy, but like, how, what was that? Like that timeframe? frame? So I guess probably
1: a year, maybe uh, eighteen months or so before I got a, a check. check. It was probably I I don't remember what it was then. I think it might have been like they had a hundred dollar uh, floor that you had to, you had to at least get a hundred dollars before they would pay you out. So it was probably right. like three or four months sure. of. But
0: then you had a hundred dollar you know, check. But then I had a hundred dollar check, and that was from YouTube. That was from YouTube. That was
1: from AdSense. Right. So the advertising yep. on YouTube. And uh, and I think uh, about that time is when I started to figure out. Oh, okay, you can sign up for affiliate accounts and yeah. then get a percentage from stuff people ordered. But at that point, I had probably put out 150 videos, maybe yeah. uh, of That's content. Incredible. And uh, yeah, I uh, you know I was getting up at four in the morning to like put videos together, edit, learn try it, like just apply myself in this. Cause then eight, nine o'clock, I had to be either working construction that yep. day or working for beacon that day, depending that. on what the schedule was or what was going on. And, uh, and at least for me, I'm a morning person. I'm not a night person. <laughs> so if I want to do something creative or if I want to learn something or apply myself to something, it, it needs to be in the morning, because sure. that's when my brain is functional that right. way by two, three, four in the afternoon. I, I'm there, but I—it's I, just not nearly the same amount of mileage as far as learning something new or, or working on something. I—it's a lot more of a struggle for me to do
0: right. that. Then, but yeah. How real or how much more weight did it have on you when that hundred-dollar check hit the bank account? Right, like when you were like, "That's a hundred dollars." That I just got paid for something that I'm doing around my nine to five, right? It's not even work, right? At this point, it's, yeah. Yes, it's work. Like I getting up early, doing it. It's all work, but like it's something you're really getting a lot of enjoyment from. So, how real did that make it to you that when you got that hundred dollars,
1: it made it uh, really real, and it was also like giving somebody just a tiny hit of a drug. Sure. When, and all of a sudden, you're like, oh, wait a second, right. uh, what was that? Mm-hmm. I want to know what that was. And so it was. Uh, it was probably right around then, or maybe a month or two later, when I had, you know, kind of started to understand the whole idea, and was getting a concept of how things work in an online business and with creator economy, content distribution, stuff like that. That um, I was talking with my wife, and she's like, "Well, what are you going to do? Like, do you think this is a viable thing or not?" And. I was like, I really don't know, I'm Like, but what I think I need to do is go, I'm going to do this for three years, a video every single week for three years, and it, get to the end of three years, if nothing has drastically changed, I'll just move on and, you know, go see if I can get a job working where I can make other people's lives miserable. Right. Um, like, I don't take any offense at this, but I was like, I'll go work at the DMV. And just (laughs) like have a miserable life for the rest of my life, but I will have tried at least. Sure. Um, So, but but we had done other things like that for three years, where it was really really difficult, and and we had made a commitment to go like we're going to do this for this long and see what happens. Those things didn't work out. Right. Um, But I knew I was like I've done hard stuff for three years. I know I can do it for three years, and if it's one video a week, I can manage that. It'll still be a push, but I can do that. And then at the end of three years, like if nothing happens okay, I gave it my best shot. You know, what more can you do? Uh, and then I think by, so it started going off and for the first year, it was very like, you know, maybe a hundred bucks, maybe 25 bucks, maybe 50 bucks, something like that. Very minimal, um, a ton of effort compared to what I was getting out of it. Right. But again, it was all looking at going, now I, I, I want to build this into something down the road that mm-hmm. will be beneficial for me and for the family. And so I it was a, maybe toward the end of year two when stuff all of a sudden started kind of getting traction and I watched my subscriber base start to grow really consistently and the video views were growing really consistently. Now I think that's a function of both I was learning and understanding how to do things on YouTube in a way that worked and also how to um, connect with people online via video and stuff like that. And, uh, and then also it was a function of like, it takes YouTube a while, the AI in YouTube to figure out what you are about and who wants to watch your stuff. Right. Because ultimately that's the whole design behind all of YouTube stuff or Google search results or anything the is internet. to figure out what somebody wants and when they want it and to give it to them. Right. And so you're putting out a video about Swiss cheese. It's going to look for people who want to watch videos about Swiss cheese right. and also when they might want to watch that, you know, right. around dinner time or something like that.
0: So, I mean, there's so much to take away from that. I think the first thing that I think is really important for people to know is, is that that it is an uncommon thing to think that you're going to say three years, Right. But like you said, is you've done hard things and committed to stuff in the past that didn't work. And I've always agreed with that mindset, right? Like I think it's important to commit to something no matter what it is. Like if you want to write a blog, right? I'm going to commit for a period of time. I've always said like 60 days, but like I'm going to write a blog every week for 60 days. And at the end of 60 days, like what could happen is is that you don't like writing, you don't like the process, you don't like posting it to the internet, you don't like managing your website. But the one thing, no matter what you gain from it, is you learn you can do something that's hard. Yeah, And that understanding in itself, even though you don't like anything about it, you didn't get any money from it, you didn't... But understanding you can learn new things mm-hmm. and you can do hard things yep. will shift your entire perspective of how you go about things. Yeah, And so the fact that here that you did that three years, one, that's a long time, but two, that you had that philosophy, I absolutely believe that's what's led to the success that you've achieved.
1: Yeah. And I think a big, a big key to that too, for me at least, was uh, we're an extremely uh, failure adverse society Mm. We run away from failure. It is it is like the worst possible thing that could happen in your life is you fail at something. Um, right up into this and right before my wife and I both lost our jobs, one of the things that we had been working on for three years failed spectacularly. And and uh, I mean, not publicly, but publicly in the circles we were in at the time. Sure. And um, so working through not just the, the, well, just the repercussions of like, having this big failure, quote unquote, of Mm -hmm. of what we were working on, uh, to try and create something out of, uh, business wise was a lot of me, uh, dealing with my sense of like, why am I so afraid to fail? Failure, you know, I mean, it took a while, but, um, coming around to the fact that failure is the best teacher you can have, you know, uh, there's ways to fail that are safe. Um, you know, you don't want to go like f- jumping off a cliff without a parachute and without training with somebody that knows what they're doing. You don't want to, uh, do some of those things without, but, uh, in a lot of those things, like I grew up climbing mountains with my dad a lot. Um, and so one of the things you learn mountain climbing really early on is how to self arrest. And it's where you, you take your ice pick and you have your, uh, ice cleats on and you basically get yourself on three points of contact. So you have the, the toes of each of your ice cleats and your ice pick and you dig it into the snow as fast as you can with the ice so that you stop sliding down the mountainside as fast as you possibly can. Well, so the way, the way we, we learned that was we went up on a mountainside and then, uh, and we're all roped up so it was safe. But at the same time, like, there's a very real aspect of you could slide hundreds of feet down the mountainside before that rope stops you from mm-hmm. sliding down. And so, and then my dad would, we would start walking up and then my dad would just yank the rope to rip us off our feet and see how fast we could learn to self-arrest. You know, that's failing in a safe way because you definitely fail once or twice the first few times, but you figure out very quickly how to not fail. Mm -hmm. And I think in that sense that failure is one of the best teachers because when you have something that leaves um, a strong impact in your mind, is like failure does you rarely will ever repeat that mistake again. right? And so, um, so part of it with YouTube was for me going, out like, I'm going to fail a bunch. And I think if I hadn't gotten over that uh, fear of failure in realizing that failure is actually one of the best teachers you can have, that, uh, like, I'm going to fail a ton. A bunch of videos I'm going to put out, maybe 100-something videos I'm going to put out are probably going to do nothing and just be terrible videos. But I have to get through that process of failing, learning from what I didn't do right and maybe what I did do right and then implementing something different in the next video. Yeah. And um, yeah,
0: it took a while, but we got it right there. And not everyone might not have this mindset, but the cool benefit, because a lot of people are like, 100 videos, that's such an effort to lose. But the cool thing about, especially content creation, and at least I've found that is, is that if 101 goes viral... yeah you actually still will benefit from those 100 yeah. right even if they're not as good and even like because if one goes super viral and a lot of people are then funneling to you what happens if you did a really good video it's not that the first 100 were bad maybe some of them were you didn't know how to show them to people. So you weren't, but now a whole bunch of people have found you and then they're engaging through all this other content you've had in the past. So it's not a complete waste, right? You actually still benefit from it, at least from my experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that is part of it. And that was part of my reasoning of going into three years was uh, I knew I needed to build a, a back catalog of work mm-hmm. that if, if I did have a video go really viral, it's like, well, what else am I gonna point people to if they wanna see more about whatever I do, whether it's about a camera or drone or you know adventuring in Alaska or something like that. Like, If all I have is one video and it goes super viral, like am I going to be like those bands that is the one hit wonders like they're amazing everybody knows about them and then the three weeks later nobody ever hears from them again Um, you know I'd rather be in it for the long haul
0: than just have one big hit and disappear totally yeah (laughs) I know it's not the same thing, but I remember Eminem said it was e- or Dr. Dre and Eminem said it was easier to get a one-hit wonder than it was to have multiple platinum records, right? Yeah. Because so many people could hit once, right? But then the effort it takes to repeat that over and over again is way harder, and they chose that path, obviously. But so I think the same thing applies here. So w- let's talk about so like okay, you have momentum, you have the plan, you're committing to it. When did it become like okay, now it's it's past a commitment, like. I'm going to do this forever. Or like I'm earning an income through XYZ affiliates or whatever, where you're like, okay, long haul, here we go. I'm not going to go work at the DMV. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that was probably uh, maybe halfway
1: through year two or beginning of year three, which was oddly enough right around the time that COVID started and everything kind of changed in our world anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, because at that point I, was, I wasn't I was earning a lot of money, but I was, I was earning enough to go like, OK, you know, if I miss a month of work on or I don't have projects come in, you know, with with beacon or something like that, like it's not going to kill us right. because we, we don't have zero income coming in anymore. Like we'll have to be careful and we'll have to, you know, use some savings, but we still do have this other income coming in on the side. So when that started happening and all of a sudden I'm looking at this going, wow, there's like there's steady income coming in uh, off of this, which I think was, yeah, it was probably right around middle of year three or so when it was significant enough that it was, it, it really kind of caused me to look at it every month and go, what, what, like, how did this happen? It was just a couple of years ago where I was putting videos out and no, you know, me was watching it 10 times and then <laughs> maybe somebody else like that was the views it got. Uh, so that, it, when that happened and then when COVID hit and all of that that's when i really realized like yeah this is this is you know it's not only is it working it wasn't to the level i wanted it yet but it it was very real that yeah it's working and there's potential here to keep going down this road and so i really started leaning into um leaning into it more during COVID, uh and then also because of a lot of the drone work i was doing It led for Open Doors to be able to start doing some of the other stuff I do now, which is go work on movies or TV shows or with some big brands creating um, commercials for them like Caterpillar or Bell Helicopter, stuff like that. Because when everything started shutting down because of COVID, a lot of people realized, well, we can still use drones because we don't have to have a lot of people in close proximity with drones. Mm -hmm. Like you can have one person standing over there flying the drone, one person over here watching a monitor and calling out what they need and, and you can still do a lot of work that way. And, um, so that kind of opened these doors up to where all of a sudden I was getting calls from, you know, all over the country to come and do drone work, which was odd because I kind of figured like everything else, it was just, everything was going to be done and quiet for a while. And, uh, you know, I'd spend a lot of time out in the wilderness
0: of Alaska filming YouTube videos and hope for the best. Right. (laughs) So uh, tell people, because you've said it a couple times and I haven't talked about a lot of it, I'm very familiar with it, but explain affiliate marketing. Okay,
1: so uh, affiliate marketing, I mean, in the simplest form is you go sign up with a site like Amazon, which is probably the most well-known because it's also such a huge real t- retailer. Um, you sign up with them and then you take certain links that they give you for you know certain products. So in my case, let's say I, I work with uh, you know a certain camera or a certain microphone or, or something like that. I'll go on my Amazon affiliate account and get a link to that product and then put it in the description of my YouTube video or on my Instagram post or whatever that is. And then anytime people click that link, they don't pay any extra. They get the product just like, but Amazon gives you, you know, a kickback kickback of, you know, maybe 2%, maybe 5% depends on the products and kind of all that stuff. But And that is, I think, where the idea of passive income comes in because, in the sense of that, like people can click that link at one in the morning and then you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, I made five bucks or 10 bucks. It's not a lot, but you start adding all of that stuff up and it stacks up over time,
0: then it it can add up to be quite a bit. Right. And people can do affiliate marketing in anything. Like you could be a hairdresser, you could be a person that makes pies. I mean, there's. Like anyone could do it. Like yeah. a gym owner could do it. Like, hey, you like those pair of shoes? Yep. There's affiliates for that. Like, I, I think a lot of people need to just like, what do they like doing? Yeah. Put content out about what you like doing, and then who can share it. Some people don't, some don't. Like, sure, does an affiliate. Skull Candy as yep. an affiliate, right? So, like, being strategic about what you have interest in, and then start paying attention to that as you're putting content out, yeah. gives you a, a huge second opportunity. You're going to put that video out on YouTube, anyways. Yeah, why not have a link to a couple things that you know people are going to want to have interest in, and then Ex- go buy it through you.
1: Exactly, and that's that's kind of the the uh, the mindset of the whole creator economy is you're building an audience, you're 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 building rapport and trust with people. And so that uh, at least in in my niche, in, in what I do is I'm hopefully helping people make smart decisions when they decide they need right. a new camera or by, I'm not trying to get people to buy the latest and greatest all the time. In fact, if anybody ever watched my live streams, a lot of times I'm like, "Oh, well, if you have a phone, start with that mm-hmm. because you don't need a $5,000 camera if you really don't know how to even take a good photo or do a good video with your phone yet. Um... So, But when people are ready to make those upgrades or changes or they have questions like, well, is this lens better than this lens? I try and provide that information in a way that's going to be helpful for them to make a good decision. Mm-hmm. And then if they do decide they want to buy one of those lenses, they can click the link and they go get the lens and it gives me a little kickback. And so it's it's just, yeah, it's a whole way of like... You know, and you're right, people can do it about anything these days. And if you're passionate about a specific subject like put content out about it. And I mean, we have so many platforms now that you get worldwide distribution of your content. And uh, I, it's just weird to think that we live in a day and age where if like if you luck, like talking about baseball cards, you could make probably a really good income talking about baseball cards online from your bedroom. Right. I, it
0: just It's bizarre, right? but it is the economy we live <laughs> in now. And people will have to understand too is affiliates aren't even always about selling, right? Like say PSA, right? And I happen to know about cards, right? They rate cards. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, you can have to check me, but PSA probably has an affiliate where if you have a link, they'll track traffic that you send to their website just through your content and you get a kickback of that. There's plenty of affiliates that are that way. You don't even have to sell a product. Yeah, You're just creating attention for them, right? And so you're right. Like I... and Here's the cool thing about it, and it ties back into what you said in the beginning, so I'm so glad you said it. The best part about what breaks content, and I'm going to make it so personal for everyone, it's not about making money. Yeah. It's about laying the future for our generations to be able to consume content for us. Yeah, And I like to use this example, like I don't I didn't know my grandfather on my dad's side very much but it turns out he was an entrepreneur he owned farmland he owned gas companies he had all these things and it was this really cool thing. I've only ever seen a couple pictures of him wow. in my life. Yeah. But there's a lot of motivation that I inspire from that. And my question is is if I could today get a huge photo album, and then hear these videos talking about his gas business or doing this oil delivery for people so they could heat their homes in northern Minnesota. And I was able to get this plethora, this access to this library of stuff to learn more about my grandfather. How much would you pay for that? Oh, yeah. A crazy amount of money. Yeah. And so my motivation for creating content now, yes, an income can come from it, which is awesome. But it's about to create the future for Jordan and Jordan's kids and be able to see the family, see the content that's coming from that yeah. and get to know those people that we don't get to see that much. yeah. Because I mean, reality is, is how many people get a ton of photos or videos around their grandparents or their great grandparents? Right. Not. Yeah. But right now in the current situation, we're going to create generations of content for them to be able to consume. And guess what? Earn an income while you do it.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: It's really cool. And
1: have a lot of fun and enjoy the process. Like it's it's uh it's really amazing the opportunity. But also you do have to be willing to put in the work, put in some work and and probably fail a bunch, right? And uh and be willing to do that for a little while before any of the other stuff really starts to come around. Right. And so going into it with the right mindset, and that's what I love about what you said is going into it with a mindset of like what uh, not just what do I want to get out of this, but what do I want to lay the groundwork for, you know, my friends, my family, my kids, my grandkids, anything like that, where it's not just about uh, I want to build this business and make some money on the side. Right. Um, because that is, even if it's something you enjoy, that can be a very short-lived proposition mm-hmm. because you can burn out and you can get tired of it when you're not earning a lot of money, but you're putting time in, a lot of time. Mm-hmm. It, can, it can really quickly change from I like this to I really don't like this anymore.
0: hmm yeah if you tie your purpose to something a lot bigger than yourself it makes it easier to press through those 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 hard times right because no matter what there's going to be hard times but i think you and i both could agree is is that if you're doing it for yourself or doing it for that future generations there's a lot more ability for you to push yourself through it or get through that down moment than it is for working for someone else right or being an employee you know and so that's really cool I would love to know. You know, you talk and I get to see, and I follow you on Facebook, I follow you on YouTube, like you are doing some really cool things. Tell me some of just like the the coolest experiences you've been able to be a part of because you chose to do this content creation world versus going work in, you know, a nine
1: to five. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot.
0: <laughs> top top uh, two or three that come to mind for you.
1: So I man. Well, so one of the top, I think probably the top one is there's a helicopter pilot here in Alaska that has a helicopter and she reached out to me. I don't, I don't remember how exactly we connected. I think it was over Instagram somehow. <laughs> and she was like, hey, I would like you to come down and spend a couple of days with me in Valdez and we're just going to go around and fly around, which one is kind of mind blowing because how many people have a helicopter that they're like, yeah, we're just going to spend a few days flying around the mountains. Like that's kind of mind blowing to begin with. Right. But then her thing was like, I would really like to do some air to air work with you with drones, which is you have to be very careful because it, it can get into legalities and safety really quick. Yeah. But the fact that she was willing to do that. And, um, and so I, I, that's probably the top of like one, you get to go to just some mind blowing locations. Right. And then working with somebody who's an extremely talented helicopter pilot, um, and and being able to photograph and film this helicopter in in some of these
0: locations, it, I mean, it's so were you driving. Were you driving like the drone while the helicopter is flying and stuff? Is that what you're saying yeah, you're doing? Yeah. So we
1: would we would go and find some place uh, stops. You'd drop me off. I'd get the drones out, and then we would we would talk through everything we were going to do, and we'd be in radio communication the whole time, just you know, <laughs> to be safe. Yeah. Um, like we well, if you start over here and fly, I'll be at this angle from the helicopter at this altitude, following you through this movement. You know, over the waterfall or something like that and um so that has to be one of the top experiences and part of that was we went to this location where there's a yeah it's like three or four thousand foot cliff and i'm standing like on the edge of this cliff overlooking these huge mountains and glacier in the background taking photos of her hovering 20 feet away from me which is um it was it's probably just one of the most mind-blowing awesome experiences i've ever had because of what she was able to do and what I was able to do with her and the w- way we were able to work together in, in creating some just incredible imagery and uh, incredible content. Um, so that definitely, I think, is one of the top ones. Number two, I think probably uh, is maybe working with Caterpillar, mm-hmm. um, which i worked with them a few times now. But I think my favorite was they built an exact replica of the Pac-Man maze to drive their <laughs> skid steers through as like the characters of Pac-Man and ghosts. <laughs> so one is like, who does that? Who excavates a giant Pac-Man maze six feet deep that you can drive skid through remotely, not where with is people this in. Is it. down in uh, they have a big facility down in Illinois. Oh my god. And so yeah, we show up and they're like, yeah, we want you to do some drone work and like fly FPV through these things while we're like recreating the Pac Man game. Yeah. And and it was one of the they do these things called cat trials where they like they've set a couple Guinness records uh, yeah, and stuff. I think and, I've heard
0: of that actually. Yeah.
1: And so they, they they create these just really interesting ways of showing off how their equipment can be used or right. work, uh but through these really what seemingly is very di- unconnected storytelling, but it really does work well for what yeah. they're doing. So I think that was one of the fun, partly because, uh, you know, we spent two days, three days filming uh, this whole uh, storyline of the Pac-Man game, all using big Caterpillar equipment. But then at the end of the game, if you've ever played it, it like derezzes from the top where the right. whole thing just kind of falls apart. So their version of de-resing was bringing in two of the biggest bulldozers they build. Oh my gosh. Which is like, I mean, it was like a scene from Jurassic Park where the trees are shaking and you're right. waiting to see what comes, and then all of a sudden this two-story tall bulldozer comes out the other side and just starts destroying everything in it's path. So that was, I think that was probably one of my other top ones. And then, uh, uh, man, for the other ones, I, like I got to be part of the Avatar 2 uh, trailer release in Niagara Falls, which was really cool. Um, that's a name drop. Oh my goodness. Right. <laughs> that Whoa. was, that kind of came out of nowhere. So we spent a couple Whoa. days in Niagara Falls filming cause they were, they were projecting the trailer onto this, like the, the vapor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Up yeah. There From- and stuff. So that was really cool. Also really wild. Like, cause it it just came around.
0: So last minute it was very just, like, Instant. how does that happen? Do they message you on Insta? Like, where does that come from?
1: They, I was I, oh, there's a guy I work with out of Lower 48 quite a bit, and they got in touch with him because he had done some other work with them, uh, and so and I don't know exactly how it happened, but they realized they needed more crew than they had, or they wanted to provide different perspectives. So we got brought into. Uh, film and to do some drone work with them. And so it was really cool because they did the whole drone show where the drones fly up and create mm. pictures in the sky. Yeah. Um, so we got to film that, which is very, very cool. Uh, that I, That's definitely up there. Um, but I think probably my other favorite was uh, doing uh, air-to-air work in helicopters, so I was in a helicopter filming another helicopter and taking pictures. Which is, I I love airplanes and helicopters anyway. Sure. Hopefully, one of these days I'll be able to get my own my private pilot's license. Um, but being able to work with two uh, extremely skilled helicopter pilots while I'm like hanging out the side taking photos uh, is is really fun because. <laughs> When you're like sitting there looking like, I think if I reached out far enough, I could probably touch the other helicopter right here. And,
0: you know, they're just... It's like Blue Angels with helicopters. Yes. And,
1: yeah. you know, there's a lot of spitting farts and a lot of things going on really fast in a helicopter. It, it just is pretty wild, but also a really, really cool experience.
0: Yeah. I heard a crazy stat about helicopters. So my father-in-law, he works for, the, you know, the government and he does a lot of... Um, Uh, pre and post trips on planes that are rented by the state right there's a lot of helicopters that are you know leased by the state essentially and so he has to go through and make sure that they're all up to snuff and you know they're all and he told me that i can't remember exactly what it was but i think it was like 85 percent of all helicopters that are owned uh the owners do not have the ability to fly them Right? They're owned by someone yeah. <laughs> else and some pilot of a helicopter who yeah. doesn't even own a helicopter yeah. is the one that flies it. And yeah. I was just like, it made sense, but at the same time, I was like, wow, that is crazy to think about.
1: Yeah. Well, and I this was a little rabbit trail, and that's why it made it so kind of mind-blowing that somebody who owns a really nice helicopter right. reaches out and is like, hey, come spend two days flying around Cause that's with me because it's so rare. right? Uh, and a large reason for that is you, people think of airplanes being expensive. And I think probably they're on par with a boat. Like sure. y- You're going to spend a fair amount of money to maintain them, to fly them, to do right. anything like that. Helicopters, like the same size airplane and a same size helicopter of like maybe say being able to fit four people. A helicopter is going to be minimum four times more expensive Right. just to do the same things. They right. have to have way more inspections. They cost way more to run because I mean, there's a lot more moving parts and if any one of those moving parts goes out, you're likely going to have a really bad day and so they're they they are way more expensive at the same time like they're incredible machines and what they're capable of in the hands of a good pilot is really astounding um I don't think they're as unsafe as people think they are either, yeah, but... I
0: mean, I think they're only as, as They're as safe as the pilot who's flying You got flying it. That's yeah. exactly... I mean, my dad's a super cub pilot, you know, small planes pilot my yep. whole life, and so I believe 100% you're only as safe as the pilot. Yeah, And I think that the equipment is only as dangerous or safe as the pilot's ability to be able to manipulate that equipment in the elements, right, and be right. able to prep accordingly. Yeah. At least that's from my experience. No, I'm actually really excited. A friend of ours, he's hopefully... He doesn't have a said date yet, but he is coming on the podcast. His name's Chad and he's the owner of Superman Movers and he actually got his helicopter pilot's license and he bought a helicopter and he tells this crazy story because he bought it down in Washington and he had to fly it up and it was during COVID and (laughs) Canada was like, no. Right. You can't fly through during COVID like you can't and like he had to go through a lot of this rigorous like paperwork and like talk to certain people and like get on the pm the prime minister's office to be able to get it like it was this huge ordeal and they were like you can only stop here and you have to get through in like 36 hours or something and so he has to fly from washington to alaska (laughs) through canada airspace and it was this huge deal but like seeing what chad did with it i'm in the same boat as you i was like i I totally want to get my private pilot's license and be able to do that that just it seems like such a fun experience So I love that. So I would love to know on the drone side of things, because I I think that no one actually really understands how much we are consuming content that has drones in it, right? TV shows, movies, like I think it's all out there. How much prep are you like, do you just get a new drone? And then I'm just curious, because like, I'm always like, I'm a fascinated person of like skill. Like as we're talking about pilots, how I tie this in, like how much time do you get like, like do you get on like simulators before you get into this new drone or do you just like take out and fly it? Like do you do a lot of prep before you start taking some of these new pieces of equipment out? Cause they're expensive. They're hard to like fly, like the maneuvers, like what's, what's your preparation for something like that?
1: So for most of the like off the shelf drones that you would buy at Best Buy or something like that, um, those can be almost any of them now are going to be, they're so well built and so well programmed that you could go out and you know spend three battery packs flying in an open field, which is what I tell people, like yeah. go out to a, a no obstructions anywhere around and just be really gently flying around with your drone. Three, three five battery packs and you have a pretty firm grasp of how to fly it um, because they've made it so consumer friendly. Uh, at the same time, like I, anytime I get a new drone, if I'm going to be using it professionally, even one of those off the shelf drones, like I will go out and spend three to five battery packs flying around, feeling it out, also understanding like what, what settings make it do what, how they change. The great part is that also I get to create a lot of content about it. So that's, you know, uh, part of that. Um, But then understanding too, like the camera, how the camera system works, where the best kind of settings are for the camera to get the picture quality and stuff like that. But then there's this whole other side of drones called FPV, which is uh, first-person view. You wear goggles, you fly, and it is 100% on you to keep that drone in the air. There is no automated anything. Um, other than you know, you turn it on and the motors start spinning, uh, and so I started getting into those because there were there were types of shots that I really wanted to get with drones and that I knew clients would really like that I you just cannot get with any other kind of drone, and it's the type of shot of like you are flying through a you know, waterfall, a waterfall or, some, or down a mountainside yeah. or something like that, and it, it feels very much like you're sitting strapped on the nose of an airplane or a right. helicopter ripping through an area. Um, and so I kind of dove down this thing where I, basically learning to build and program them from scratch, um, it's a huge learning curve. And there's it's very difficult to uh, even find YouTube information. There's sure. a lot of information out there, but the problem is like, if you don't already know the language and know what you don't know, then it's really hard to even figure right. out what you need to know that to figure out to make it work. So I started building those and then... Uh, last year, two years ago, um, I built a couple of larger ones that will put a small cinema camera on there. Cause I had a couple of jobs with Caterpillar and other places that wanted to put a cinema camera on right. one of these FPV drones. So I want
0: to be clear. You're talking about building a drone.
1: Yeah. From you're scratch. Not, you're not
0: buying a drone online. Yep. You are literally building and creating a program to then drive this drone or at least bringing yeah. a program together to the, what's built to do it. So like, this yeah. is like basically custom.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's 100% custom. I mean, you can buy, uh, not off the shelf, but there are builders who will build them for you. But essentially, you're buying carbon fiber frames, motors, speed controllers, flight controllers, uh, receivers, GPS units, all that, and putting it all together and then making it all work together. That Uh, is amazing. And then you're going to go put a $15,000 camera on it and rip it at 90 miles an hour, uh, you know, in the tight space and so like one of them I, I did with that was literally like a quarter mile out over open water and then chasing uh hydrofoil boat races sure with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah um and i kept looking at the directory like if anything like i i built this drone and i went out and tested it for 30 battery packs to make sure it, it was solid how much time is on a battery pack five minutes ish oh five so, yeah. yeah that very, is not very it, it's, long because it's such high energy and right. so much speed it, it just like you can only you know it, it's not a lot of battery time you can build them so they will fly longer but uh but it's like i'm gonna run in this 30 battery packs before i even put a camera on there so i found a three or four pound dumbbell stuck it on there for a weight to make sure i had kind of accurate weight for what the camera would be and then i think it was back up in hatcher pass somewhere um Trying not to destroy this multi-thousand-dollar drone I just the built. Stress! Oh my goodness! <laughs> and, uh, and it's kind of terrifying too because it's right. eight motors, eight propellers that are like—it uh, sounds like this really angry thing that's coming at you. Uh, and so yeah, so built that and then started using it on some productions. Uh, you know, they're, they're great for car commercials, great for uh, uh, kind of great for aircraft stuff. And then just anything that we want, tons of energy and speed and really tight maneuverability in uh, the types of shots you're wanting to get, it's, they're fantastic for. But one of the things I did was we did this hydrofoil boat race thing. Um, you know, I'm out there like I've got four minutes-ish because I'm pushing it to the absolute max to keep up with these things. They're going 100 miles an hour. And, uh, and then there's a certain point where I have to head back to the dock to make it to the dock before right. the battery dies. Um, and then not only that, but the director, they're always, can you get closer? Can you get lower? Can you get closer? And I'm like, there's these boats are, I mean, they're spraying water everywhere and it's only going to take a couple of drops of water in the right place to take this whole thing out. And so for the very last shot of the day, after we'd done everything, I was, he was like, I really want you to go, uh, between the boats as they're coming at you as low as you can go. So I went out and I was like maybe two feet off the water and all I could see these two rooster tails coming at me and they're going a hundred miles an hour or more toward me and I'm going 80 or 90 miles an hour toward them so you have this you know 200 something mile an hour overtake speed and then all of a sudden these rooster tails of water just go zipping by you it was the most intense thing but yeah so in building a drone like that like I've gone out and tested them extensively yeah and spent hundreds of hours learning how to fly them because it's it's like learning to fly a helicopter aircraft. it's it's everything's connected. If you add more throttle, that changes this, and you have to change your pitch, or you have to change your roll, or yaw, or anything like that, just to make sure the drone stays stable because you, it is not stabilized by itself. Which right. the drones off the shelf at Best Buy are stabilized. Right. Um, so it's it's very intense and uh, and a lot, but also I like the challenge. Sure. I like the challenge of, of building them and yeah. then also the challenge of learning how to fly them and fly them well. Yeah. Um, it to me. I, I, I like that stuff. I like learning. I like yeah. growing and challenging myself.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I knew the prep had to be crazy, but I couldn't imagine that. Like not only the the creation, but then you know, having to go through that. Cause you're right, like fifteen thousand dollar camera or whatever, and then like how much you put into the drone, that's insane. Like, but to just know that and the the repercussions, right, of <laughs> of yeah. failure is the pressure is insane. Yeah. I would probably hope that you have in the contract that there's probably some sort of insurance and or like liability if they are they want X and mm-hmm. it does Y, it's on them. I yeah. can only imagine, but like that's that's just so cool. So I guess, you know, where I'd love to wrap this up is like, you know, for the for someone that's listening in that wants to create more content, wants to get started, like you've said a lot of great things around failure, the long-term mindset, but you know, where does someone start? You know, because I know a lot of people, they're like, the timing, right? Like, oh yeah. Well, you said COVID was great. Well, more people are on their phones, so they can justify that, right? Yeah. Which, if I'm not talking to those people because they're in the wrong wrong mindset, anyways. Yeah. But if you want to start a YouTube channel or you want to start affiliate marketing, what are some of the like the the keys to success that you see needing someone to take to be able to start this path of content creation or this creator world that you live in for themselves?
1: I. Um, well, yeah. On the 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 people that are looking at this, like, well, you you know, something happened during COVID. It's easy to look at anything that's an overnight success and right. go, oh, this was their big break. But ninety nine point eight percent of the time, those people have years and years of something under their belt before they ever got to that point. Right. So there, I don't really think there are any true overnight successes. It's there was something happening for years before That, that right. then, yeah, serendipitously, something happened. A door opens and they were in the right place at the right time right. to take that next step. But if they hadn't had those years before, they would have been one of those one hit wonders and disappeared right. the next day. Um, so, but for anybody wanting to start out, I think the the big key is one passion. You've you've got to find something that you're passionate and ex, you're passionate about and excited about because that passion will get you through the times when you don't want to get up at four a.m. to edit a video or you you're tired of you know trying to put content out and not seeing lots of people uh engage with it Mm -hmm. so passion will get you through those times um and then the other thing be is consistency like consistency of not just you putting content out but consistency in the content what is your message in that content are you doing uh you know landscape photos and then all of a sudden you do a photo of you know a baby bottle on a countertop your audience is not going to engage with that photo nearly as much as the landscape photos because right. it's they, they've they come to you looking for that topic right um so consistency of message is really important on yeah. on uh and, and some people talk about niching down or niching down uh, depending on how you pronounce the word and uh to a to a certain extent that's important of like you really do want to figure out who who are you who's your audience who are you right. talking to if you're gonna do baseball cards, then you need to do baseball cards. Right. Don't all of a sudden start talking about pink fuzzy slippers. And I say right. that and I use it as a because I do get emails about people wanting me to <laughs> review pink fuzzy slippers. I'm like, clearly, you don't watch my channel because it's nothing to do with pink fuzzy yeah. slippers. You know, they they have no benefit to anybody I talk to. Right. Um, but the consistency is important. And 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 on the content creation side, being consistent is important too, because
0: sure. um, like the repetition of what the you're putting The repetition, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: One, it builds your skill set mm-hmm. and uh, and helps you progress and grow as a creator, which is really important. But it also gets people into the habit of knowing that they're going to be engaging with you right. kind of regularly. On a regular basis, yeah. right. And consistently, consistency looks different for different people and different channels. There are channels that can put one video out a month and they because of the quality of the content they produce and because of the topic of the content, people engage with it massively right. Uh, other channels like they almost have to be daily, like right. the, the family vlog channels, they have to build right. that constant interaction and relationship with their audience and some channels you know once a week is yeah. great. Um, so yeah, the, the, the consistency is really important.
0: and yeah, passion super. Yeah. I agree with everything you're saying. I will say, too, especially for people, because, like, you know, we're complex people, right? Like, you know, maybe you like baseball cards and fuzzy slippers. Just know that if you do talk about both things, you're narrowing down your audience. Mm -hmm. And so you have less people probably engaging with you. And that's not a bad thing if you're passionate about baseball cards and fuzzy slippers. Chances are you're probably not, but just know those things, right? And so, like, I agree, you know, with everything you're saying, and especially to like, the cool thing that I think most people are just totally underestimating right now is like we're in a world right now where one piece of content can be put on so many platforms and get benefit in many ways. Yeah. You know, and we got to think, you know, regardless of what your mindset is on TikTok or anything, but thank you, TikTok, for creating the actual virality around vertical 16 yep. by nine yep. footage. Because one piece of content on YouTube Reels, Facebook Reels, Instagram Reels, TikTok, Pinterest, yeah, can go massively beneficial for you, yeah, for a starter, yeah, right, yeah, and just knowing that's available. Because if you would have looked back even two years ago, like videos on Facebook probably had to be different than videos on Instagram, and vice versa. Yeah. That was a lot more work to put that content together, yeah. versus right now. So from a timing standpoint, I'm really trying to encourage people like. Get going now and putting it in on all those places. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That that is huge right now. There's there's a massive opportunity with short form content it's, on all the platforms right. because they're all competing for the same space. Mm-hmm. And and it's it is weird too because they're all very different platforms. They they have different age group demographics that are their primary users right. uh, and different focuses. Like I I did this one thing where I dove an FPV drone down into an ice cave. Uh, yeah, I saw it out there it and. On TikTok, it went massively viral, two and a half million views within like a week and a half. Uh, on Instagram, it also sort of, I mean, I wouldn't say it went viral, but it, it was definitely my highest viewed video. Right. Facebook, it did almost nothing, which right. is just bizarre, you know? And, and it's like, well, that, but, and that's where right now there is a huge opportunity because all the platforms are looking at vertical short form content. and and really
0: pushing it out there to compete for people's attention. Right. And I encourage that you put it on all places. Yes. Right? Regardless if it gets no views or some, because I've seen the same exact thing. I don't have the successive views like you have, plus, but like... I have seen like I've just recently starting adding to Facebook reels because I didn't even know that was a thing until just recently. Right. And, yeah. uh, well, and I know it is newer. I know Facebook is yeah. probably the latest of the game, but a video that I put on Instagram that it was ridiculously successful, not successful on Facebook. And then vice versa. I just released a video the other day and it's only gotten like 500 views on Instagram, it's at 15,000 views on Facebook. Yeah, Same piece of video, nothing different other than putting it on the platform. Yep. And that's why I just, I mean, I encourage everyone just to be putting it on all. Yeah. And then just going where the audience takes you yeah. essentially, as long as you're consistent and long as you're passionate. But then to a thing that you said too, is analyze what you're doing. Yeah. Right? Like why are people liking it more on Facebook? What are you editing it? And just constantly trying new things and never yep. getting discouraged with that, I think is such an important part.
1: Yeah. And, and actually that's probably the third piece of advice I would have for people. Cause it can be so overwhelming when you're just starting out of like, well, you're learning how to use a camera. You're learning how to use lighting, audio, all the stuff that you have to learn just to figure out how to produce a short form piece of video it can be hours of work, setting up a room and lighting and everything else. Um, And s- while well, there are lots of uh, great tutorials on YouTube, including on my channel about how to do that stuff. <laughs> Shameless plug. And where is that Jake Sloan at <laughs> Look YouTube? Look Jake Sloan on any social media. I'll yeah, pop right there up there. You go. So, uh, but, and what I did was after every video, I would watch the video, just myself, watch it, Um, you know, maybe a day or two after I posted it just to look at it with fresh eyes and analyze it and then pick one thing that I wanted to do better on the next video, mm. whatever that is. And if you do that, yes, it takes time. But after a year, if you look at your video that you produced on January 1 of you know 2023 and then the video you produce on December 31st of 2023, you will see a massive difference. But that. you only pick one thing to change or one thing to improve on the, next. on the next video. I love that so much. And it gives you a really actionable, very simple step that you need to take of like, yeah, my audio wasn't the best in that one. I'm going to make one thing to improve my audio on the next bit. And then, and then you move on. And you're adding every single video, then you're adding something to your skill set
0: that is going to help you take the next step. And continuing to level up that is such a good piece of advice i read this recently i can't remember where it was but i did it and it was a really powerful tool for that same exact thing is i was like i read it was like okay just take a video camera and record a five minute impromptu something yeah just record it and then there was a three-step process after you recorded it and i did this and it It has changed how I've produced content, how I've spoke, my hand signals, everything. And it was really valuable. And so it record that five piece and then what you need to do is set the video down, just hit play and listen to your audio. Yep. Just listen to it. Yeah. How do you talk? What's the cadence in your voice? Where you're pausing? And I took a couple things that are like, ooh, I didn't like that. Ooh, I really like that. And that was like, okay, there's one thing. Then take the video and... Put it on mute and watch it. Yeah. Watch your body language. Watch your eye contact. Watch how you move. Huge, profound takeaways in that. And then the last one, you know, download it. You, know, you could put it in a Zoom or whatever. Transcribe it and then read it. Yeah. Take out the uhs, the ums, like those yeah. things. And that little, it took probably like a half an hour to do all three. But I can tell you, pre that video, then post that video. Oh my, like... I didn't mind hearing the sound of my voice near as much. Right. I didn't mind watching it. Cause like, that's the hard part for a lot of people, yeah, right? Like what you're saying is huge. They're like, Oh, I don't want to hear the sound of my voice <laughs> or, Oh, that's... I just hate my mannerisms. Then use it yeah. and learn from it. Yeah. I love that. That's such a good piece of advice on the one thing. That's so good. Okay. Well, the last thing that I always like to know is, is there a single piece of advice that was given to you that has been profound in your life? Probably, probably the thing about
1: passion. Uh, and that was given to me by uh, my father-in-law, who at the time wasn't my father-in-law. I was just working with him.
0: Mm. Um, That's probably a whole story. And, itself. Yeah, there's
1: a, there's a massive story behind that. Because he taught, he taught me a lot uh, about excellence and learning and growing as a person, just continually striving to get better. It's way different than perfectionism. And it's, this is a huge conversation that we sure. could have in, you know, an episode in three years or something like that if you wanted to. But, uh, but excellence is that that constant drive to just get a little bit better mm-hmm. and just continue to grow and, and challenge yourself as a person, as a creator, whatever you're doing. Um, but he gave me the advice about passion and, and how passion will get you through those dry, tough times when you you don't feel like doing it there's lots of days I don't feel like going to a gym and working out Mm -hmm. because I'm tired or because I'm sore or I just climbed a mountain yesterday and I don't want to do it. Uh, but that passion to keep myself in good physical shape so that I can do lots of stuff for years, decades, hopefully with my kids. Um, the, the passion to be able to climb a mountain, get to the top and not be totally out of breath and, and totally wasted for 30 or 40 minutes till I can like talk to a camera without sounding like I'm out of breath and wasted. <laughs> like that, that passion to be able to uh, continue to push myself physically so that I can push myself physically um, is what keeps me going to the gym early in the morning. Mm-hmm. The same is true at anything like that. That passion to be able to get you through the tough times, push you through failures, Uh, and keep you going down the path of like, this is really where I want to head. I think it's probably the most difficult thing to even grasp though because it it is hard to find your passion, Mm -hmm. to find out what you're passionate about. And I feel like a lot of people don't do it Mm -hmm. uh, because it takes a lot of work and Mm -hmm. it can be pretty scary at times. Mm -hmm. But if you ever do find what you're passionate about and what you love doing, it's not that you're not going to work, but you are really going to enjoy working. Mm -hmm. Um, And it will get you through the times of like, Last year, I flew one hundred and fifty thousand air miles. I don't like traveling that much. I mean, I like traveling, but I don't like traveling that much. I don't like sitting on airplanes that much. Yeah, no one does. Uh, and going through airports is not
0: enjoyable. I bet um, you the benefits, though, of the whatever mileage plan yeah. you are at Delta <laughs> yeah. or Alaska Airlines is probably I am up pretty there in the sweet. Tier of uh, yeah. platinum,
1: whatever. It yeah. yeah, so that's but, pretty nice. But. but yeah, but the but the passion, the excitement of even going to places that I wouldn't necessarily go to, but to go there and film is. It, it does make me excited to go do those things. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's probably the singular best piece of advice I ever got was
0: finding what I was passionate about and pursuing it. Right. I think the couple things to unpack in that is that one, there's a lot of people that are 40 and they still don't know what their passion is yeah. and, and just consistently trying you yeah. know because i like you could use vera wang or you know colonel sanders white like kfc he didn't start kfc till he was 65 yeah Probably wasn't a passion about a lot of things up to the age of 65. (laughs) Right. But 65 to 95 was probably pretty dang sweet. Yeah. You know, and so just never giving up. You know, I think that's really an important part in that because I do think that there are people that find it when they're 18. I know I was and I was really grateful for that. Um, You know, Chelsea, my wife, hasn't. And she's constantly trying. And so I'm I'm just always proud of her for doing that because it's not easy continuing to try. Yeah. But then the other thing, too, is, is understanding that passion isn't always like just loving every single day of your life when you're doing it. Like you're talking about really calling that out. Like there's days that suck. There are days you don't want to do it, but you have to figure out one to remind yourself, you know, to be great or to, you know, be the top level of anything. You got to do it when you don't want to. Yeah. Right. And just knowing that that's normal and that's okay. And I think that realization that almost giving peace to it brings more motivation to the good days. Yeah. Really? yeah
1: it definitely does
0: and then I love to know is there a piece of advice that you find to be cautious right like a bad piece of advice that maybe you've been given or you've heard around you know that you caution people to live you know because I think that there's a lot of like really you know just you know uh, let's say like life coach advice that's thrown out that you're like you know what I, la- I hear you but you know comma is that you know I give caution to it
1: uh, yeah I would say uh Probably the biggest caution it kind of goes back to passive income. There are so many people out there going, go after passive income, go after passive income, go after... And I don't necessarily think that they're wrong, but I think way more important than going after income is going after, uh, and it sounds kind of quaint, but happiness. Right. Of like, I think we as a society would be much better off if that was our goal. Right. Happiness. Happiness. Yeah. People can be super happy doing things that I would never consider doing.
0: Correct. But they're totally happy doing it. And Mm -hmm. they they love their life. And they're probably bringing a lot of value to that space that you would never.
1: Right. Um, But as a society, and I've seen it a lot of times where it's like people have gone after certain career paths because of the notoriety or because of the income or because of... You know, maybe their parents push them into it. There's a lot of things that can go after that. But, um, and they are so unhappy. Mm -hmm. While on the outside, we're looking at them going, man, they're living the dream. Crushing. Like they're crushing. Yeah, they're just killer career and all these accolades or whatever it is. And they hate their life. Right. You know? And so I, I think that, especially in the creator economy, when everybody wants to focus on, hey, you can have these seven side incomes and make you know a hundred thousand dollars a year because it seems like it's always the six figure income thing sure um it, it more than that, I would just that's secondary mm-hmm. happiness and enjoyment is first, and I you know, especially if I'm speaking to somebody who's younger, that's a lot more difficult to explain right um as you get older, you realize a lot more how much you want to enjoy the time you have. And, you know, you have kids, like all of a sudden you want to enjoy the time you have with your kids because that's a limited time. Um, I've got teenagers. I've got one who's, you know, he's going to graduate next year. It's weird. Just, you know, but knowing that uh, as much as I've been able to enjoy my life, enjoy his life and our life together and do things together and just enjoy that time is so much more powerful than me going, no, I, I want to work to Get a great income, right. or build a side business, or you know, have passive income, or whatever that is, because, um, you know, time time ultimately is the most valuable thing you have. And right. if you're not enjoying your time, you really need to you need to reevaluate what you're doing, right. because it will kill you in the end.
0: Yeah. There's so much to unpack in that, you know, the first thing, you know, uh, I think Les Brown talked about it is that more heart attacks happen at 10 a.m. on Monday morning than any other time in the world. You know, when you can look at like actual that and what happens at 10 a.m. people are getting to work on a Monday. Right. And like it's because they hate what they do. And I totally agree with you. I think it's a net positive for the world. I don't care if you're making 37K, 57K a year and you're a bee farmer or you're a hairdresser or whatever. If you love doing it, the value you bring to the market in that is far greater than anything else. And that's a side note to the fact, though, that in this world we live in, you could be a bee farmer or a hairdresser and create content, and create a whole bunch of income streams that come from that, yeah. and make a lot more money probably. Oh yeah! And it's because I believe in life that we only get, I think money is a transfer of energy, Yeah, is the way that I've started to really associate. The things I have the most energy in are the places I make the most money. Yeah, And so if you're passionate about it, or you have a lot of energy that you get from it, you tend to earn income, as a byproduct of it but it has to live through that like that channeling through content right so it's a great thing that you talked about right there and the passive income thing i agree with you that like there's no like i mean we're in real estate right so that real estate can be but we work really hard there's a lot of stress there's a price you pay for that you know uh some aspects of it is, is is passive but there is a lot of stress and anxiety that goes to it so that's a different form of trade that you're paying for uh, there are other passive incomes, but it is takes so much before it becomes passive. Yeah. So don't make that the goal. Make yeah. the passion towards it, like you're saying, it be the goal. Yeah. So, Jake, I'm really grateful for having you on here. This was amazing. This
1: this has been fun. I yeah. love it. It's it's been awesome. Thanks for having me
0: here. I'm glad to have you. I'm really excited to share it, and we'll definitely have you back.
1: Awesome.